0: down south on this episode, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and myself. going to break down a mixed bag of a week for the Gators. They lose a six-point lead to Arkansas, get outscored 18-4 down the stretch, miss a huge opportunity to kind of cement their berth to the NCAA tournament, I think. Um, and instead, are going to need to close strong. I think 21 wins, uh, Eric and I think, is, is kind of the magic number. Any way that they get there will be good enough, but... They're going to need 21 wins. They have 18 after the victory over Georgia. We will talk about that game as well and preview a quad one opportunity at Vanderbilt Tuesday night. Thank you all for listening. Please leave a rating, a heart, anything you can do. i going to read those on the air as we close out another season of Florida Basketball Hour. Thank you all so much. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday down south, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, a one-in-one one week for the Gators that probably leaves them farther from the NCAA tournament than when the week began.
1: Yeah, I think we kind of have to start uh bracketology talk here, um, just kind of the nature of it. I mean, we're recording on, on Sunday afternoon here. Um, woke up this morning and, uh, like I do most mornings, which is, you know, nerdy, but true, look at the net ratings rankings and, uh, Florida's 51st. So, um, as we kind of talked about, we've kind of said it repeatedly, um, no, uh, there's no magic number that you've got to get to. But when you look at the nets kind of brief history, if you're a high major team, you've got to be, uh, for sure in the thirties, at least kind of, you know, high thirties, at least that's kind of what we've seen. Um, Checking Bracket Matrix this morning, a composite of um, 112 different bracketologists. The Gators have a place in 10 of those. That is 10 out of 112. Uh, Of course, some I'm sure didn't update um from their most recent update but i mean if someone didn't have the the gators in um in in their last bracket update i don't really think the win against georgia kind of does that so um I'll, I'll have one more bracketology take after this neil but what's uh what are your thoughts what uh what is your reaction to kind of those numbers yeah i mean i think right now like i said i
0: think florida is farther away from the tournament at the end of the week than they were at the beginning of the week um even if they kind of stayed in that next four out category. Uh, there's still, I think a few teams that are ahead of them, uh, in the bubble pecking order, regardless of the, the few projections I've seen that have Florida in the first four. Um, cause I don't think I've seen one where Florida's in the field. It's always the first four, but, um, in any event, uh, so not, not great. Um, and I think more frustrating given that really for the second straight year, Florida kind of entered the final media timeout or close to the final media timeout with a with a really good chance to win the win a game against a very good Arkansas team and just kind of crumbled down the
1: stretch yeah I think I think Arkansas outscored them by 14 in the last seven minutes of of the game so I mean it's it's not totally fair to prorate that out to 40 minutes but I mean it's a pretty significant chunk of the game where the Gators got you know, really dominated um, my one last bracketology thing. I wanted to say, this is, this is my public service announcement to all Florida fans as it relates to bracketology. I don't mean to just like be really rude and put these people down, but I will often, you know, when people tweet at the show or tweet at Neil or, or I, and they say, Oh, like this is where Florida sits in this bracket. It's often two guys. It's Jerry Palm and Lenardi, some, two of the biggest names um, in bracketology Like Here's the thing with bracketology. You can look back at history and see how accurate these guys are. Uh, And that's kind of a more recent uh, kind of phenomenon that people were like, hey, let's actually fact check these people that are like the experts on the matter. So the fact of the matter is like each one of the last four years, both of those guys have finished in the bottom third percentile of bracketologists on bracket matrix. Like they are objectively not very good at bracketology. Like, and uh, I, I don't mean that to, like, I'm not just using that to just like rip on guys. I'm just telling you, if you are looking for the most accurate bracket because you want to know where Florida sits, do not go to Lenardi or Palm. They just, they they objectively are not very good at bracketology. So like I've got my guys. So um, the, the best over the last three years has been Lucas. Harkins from heat check Um, he's finished second second and sixth the last three years so that's the guy I like to look to um, just because he's the most kind of average accurate over the last three years Um, you can pick anyone you want but that is my just public service answer before you look at something that they do and kind of like if you're you know, having a bad day and you, you want to look at bracketology for something to lift your spirits or you want something just accurate to know where Florida sits. Um, unfortunately, if you go with the really big names, you're, you're not looking at the best, uh, not looking at the best kind of name. So, um, Check a look. Take a look at Bracket Matrix. We'll, we'll review all these bracketologists for the last couple of years. Find the ones that are good. Unfortunately, two of the main guys uh, are just not the people you should be going to for, for information. I mean, hey, best of luck to them this year in their bracketology. Maybe they'll be back in the good books, but this is four straight years of below average bracketology from those guys. Um, so it's at the point where someone tweets at us and says, hey, look at this, you know, in Linardi. I I, I I honestly don't look at it because I... He, until it's until kind of shown better. But that was my last bracketology take, um, though I'm sure it's going to come out, you know, continue in the podcast. But, um, you know, so that's kind of my central thought about Arkansas. Biggest kind of seven minutes of the game. Um, the Gators lose by, you know, 14 in, in that stretch. And uh, that's um, kind of, you know, tells you a little bit, just kind of another measuring stick of where the Gators are relative to some of the top teams in the SEC. Yeah, look, I
0: thought, um... uh-oh, we lost Eric here. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and say what I had to say, and we'll see if we can get Eric back in a minute. Um, High-level college basketball game, though. Uh, You know, and... Hold on, guys. I'm sorry about the technical issues, but we do have Eric Fawcett back. Um, So what I was going to say is, Uh, I agreed with Eric Musselman uh, and Mike White after the game that I thought that was a high-level college basketball game. I thought it was a really good game. I thought Florida played one of its better games of the season. I'm going to be really honest. Um, And, you know, that's why I brought up last year's game because I thought it was so interesting that for the second straight year, Florida really played pretty well for about 35 minutes and then just didn't down the stretch, whether you want to blame – you know, Mike white going to zone for a couple possessions and they hit an open three. I'm not really sure why he did that. Whether it was just JD note is kind of a dude that's a little different than everybody else on the floor. And he goes to the bucket and, and gets scores, whether it's, you know, as I talked about on the, the previous podcast every now and then, so I have to get something right that, you know, because just to balance things out a little bit, because Eric's right so much of the time, but like Jalen Williams, just being a great player, um, and like even better in this game than I thought he was. Uh, just does so many things well. Um, and you know, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe he should have gotten fouled out. I think he fouled Colin Castleton pretty much the whole game. Um, but you know, Florida did get more calls, so it wasn't like terribly unbalanced uh in terms of like actual whistles blowing. Florida shot more free throws, just execution down the stretch, man. Like Florida's shot selection wasn't good. And Florida couldn't stop straight line drives. If you can't do those two things down the stretch and then you give up open threes, uh, that's how you get outscored 18 to four, even though you played pretty well. So that's that's my baby. I don't think it's a hot take. Like, I think Florida played a good game and and lost.
1: Well, I think when you put up one point, one points per possession against a top 15 defense, like for a team like Florida that, that struggles to score. Uh, That's pretty impressive. So I think that that really speaks to, or that would really support what you're saying about them playing one of their better games of the season. Um, Again, I think we kind of come back to this so often on the podcast, but it's just kind of another another piece of evidence where it just shows like when it comes to building a roster in the modern kind of college basketball universe, like it comes down to wings. I mean, Colin Castleton has an absolutely incredible basketball game. Um, I mean, as, as good of a game as he's played with, you know, 29 points on 10 of 16 shooting, but when it comes down to the stretch, it's just hard to play through a center when, um, when that's kind of your best number one option offensively. And then like you mentioned, who's the best player on the floor who takes it over. It's JD Note who's a guard. And um, that's kind of something we talked about before the season, when we still had some more optimistic kind of thoughts on what this year could be for Florida basketball. We thought one of the kind of problems with this team was that they just didn't have that kind of go-to scoring guard or, or, or wing and it was going to lose them some close games. I would say this is a game that kind of completely Spoke to what our biggest concerns were that it's just was going to come down to where the Florida didn't have the best guard on the floor and it was going to be the difference. Um That's something that I think was apparent. And then you mentioned the zone. I mean, it's pretty clear with Mike White's usage of the zone that he's not super confident in it. Um You can tell by just how they don't like to go to it. They only kind of go with desperation and they get out of it really quickly as soon as it breaks down like you could just tell that he's never been really confident with zones and you could tell from the quick plug that they're not comfortable this year with zones so it just kind of makes you wonder why did they why'd they go to it to the first place um i i gotta agree with you on that one
0: yeah it was just really weird and they gave up um two threes and they actually got a stop on one of the three possessions but they went to it for three possessions give up two threes both wide open (laughs) um and then they get a stop on a on another possession, um, but you know that's six points right there, and it was a lightning quick six points that that gave Arkansas uh, really it's a lightning quick seven points that gave Arkansas the lead after Florida was up six with six fifty nine to go seven zero one to go. Um, sorry, so um, and I'd said Arkansas Florida shot more free throws that that would have been true had not Florida fouled late, um, so Florida was in a position where they had shot more. But Arkansas shot six down the stretch to end up with two more free throws, but they were called for more fouls. Colin Casselton had twenty-nine points, like Eric said, a fantastic game. He drew eleven fouls, which was uh, a season high um, for a player against Arkansas, who has the best—I uh, think—the best defense in the league now that LSU's come back to earth a little bit. Um, so you know, that's—I mean—he was just a monster, and and like Eric said, Florida's backcourt. I uh, really kind of outclassed a little bit, although Tyler, uh, tired Tyler. Tyree Appleby played pretty well 19 points, four assists. I think he was tired down the stretch, um, missed a couple shots short, had an air ball. Um, so, you know, I saw him taking a lot of heat. And I think some of that is he's the only creator that they have on the roster against a defense like Arkansas. And if you play 34 minutes, you're going to get tired, um, especially after you just played a couple days earlier against Auburn, uh, another defense that, you know, really requires you to be good with the basketball, Eric. So I thought, you know, to your point, yeah, I mean, Florida loses really because of their guards. Colin Castleton, once again, matched up with another great big, kind of got the better of Jalen Williams. And that's not knocking Jalen Williams. It kind of speaks to what a good game this was. Uh, but Castleton was better than him. One interesting tidbit before I, I turn it over to you to talk a little bit about Appleby and whatever you want to get into This was the third game in the last three years where Florida had a score go over 28. Gators have lost all three of those games. Trey Mann had 30 in the SEC tournament against Tennessee. That was an L. Uh, Jalen Hudson goes for 33 on
1: senior night against LSU, L, and then uh, this. That's really interesting. I I mean, again, I I think, too, with the Castleton thing, again, he plays tremendously, no problem with – with how he played or what he did at all. I mean, it'd be foolish to be upset with a 10 for 16 shooting game and 29 points, but I, I do think it, it still speaks to yes, the opportunity cost of playing through centers. Um, and it's how th- this was not the best game for some of Florida's um, perimeter guys who, um, you know, weren't really a part of things. Like some, some of these guys that, that kind of need driving lanes to make things happen. It's like, yeah, you kind of take that out of the equation. And again, when there's a Mitch Mass mitch mismatch for Castleton, um, it's going to be, it certainly makes sense why they, why they go to it. But uh, at the same time, it's just like, you've got to weigh all the opportunity costs involved with that and, um, it's it's just interesting to see, like you said, with with some of those uh the high point total that they right there that they still um lose and they kind of lose by even on a night where they have one player really going off, they really go as a team cold in the final stretches of games. And um <clears throat> it's really interesting with Tari Appleby, like he's still like I, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, fans are out on Tyree Appleby or anything. He still has plenty of support, but I do think there's still a lot of fans who just like hate seeing him turn the ball over and get mad when he misses some of these shots. And like you said, it's like he, there's tough shots to be taken at the end of these shot clocks in the late, late in games. And like, I wouldn't like, you know, I guess Flanders Fleming's probably the, the next guy you, you'd look at for that. But I still feel like Tyree Appleby is definitely kind of proven to be the best shooter in these scenarios. And it's also just funny to me too. I mean, again, if we want to go back to bracketology for a second, the Gators only have two quality wins this season, really two quadrant one wins. Um, one of them is Tyree Appleby at the buzzer. One of them is Tyree Appleby going Steph Curry for the last four minutes of the game to beat Auburn. Like if not for like, if Tyree Appleby were a average level shooter, um, the Gators probably have zero quadrant one wins this year. I think that's very realistic to say. So, um, I don't know if you're one of the people that's tweeting at him because he mad because he goes three for nine from the three point line, because a couple of those misses were step backs late at the end of a shot clock. I'm just like, I don't know, man. I replace him with a safer, less dynamic guard. And I truly think the Gators have zero quadrant one wins so far this season.
0: Yeah. I mean, even the, uh, (coughs)
1: even the Texas A&M game, which would have been the third quad
0: one win, Appleby only has three points, um, probably has one of his tougher nights gets into foul trouble Um, and another game where Colin Castleton led the charge and Florida came up short and it's not a knock on Colin Castleton. It's just kind of the way that, that the sport works right now. The other thing, and and Eric already alluded to, to the other point I wanted to make on this game was Florida as a, as a roster building exercise, I guess, uh, has to get longer and more physical. Um, and I don't think you have to look much farther than the fact that they got Lit up by Arkansas's wings for so the second year in a row at Elroyo at crunch time. Devo Davis just clobbers Florida again. Um, and then Audie's Tony, who doesn't put up like these huge numbers, but is kind of the city guard. Now they're bringing in Denzel Aberdeen, who looks a lot like him. Um, but, you know, I wish there was a soccer stat like 50 50 balls because Florida would have just gotten obliterated in that number, Eric
1: yeah well, I think it's, it was hard for me to avoid too looking at Trey Wade starting a power forward for Arkansas who's just like the consummate kind of glue guy Great point. versatile wing and he's a guy that the gators could have had. they they offered him a cut this is a couple of years back. Um, he was transferring from UTEP. he ended up going to Wichita State. Uh, but Florida had you know given him the uh, I'll say offer in quotes. Um, because they were, you know, they were interested, but you know, Trey Wade was was ready to ready to come at any, any moment they said, you know, we'll, we'll take you. Um, they decided to go different direction. And, um, so continues the conversation of Florida's evaluation of front court players. Um, but again, I, he's someone who, uh, kind of brought that versatility, had enough, like, again, not huge numbers, but there was times when it came to, you know, the ball swinging around the perimeter. They had a guy in Trey Wade at the four who could attack a closeout just because he's got enough of those perimeter skills to make that happen. So you just look up and down that lineup. And, you know, I do think they look kind of like a little bit like undersized, I'll say, but then at the same time, like, you know, six foot six Trey Wade and a bunch of other six foot four, six foot five wings and um, you know, six foot two JD note, you can make things happen. Like, I just think like when you're looking at like, what is the most prototypical, um, kind of way to build a roster. Like there's not one way to do it, but one way that a whole lot of teams are having success in college basketball is really good scoring guard, Um, really good defensive center and a bunch of versatile wings. And that's exactly what Arkansas was. And you kind of saw the difference between, um, you know, some of Florida's undersized wing guards kind of struggling this game and um, a bunch of guys just playing like consummate role player minutes for Arkansas. And um, even the way that they're kind of scoring was, was pretty like, kind of divvied up pretty evenly between kind of their four or five guys.
0: Yeah, no, I mean uh, that's, that's, and that's kind of been Eric Musselman's MO Um, every season that he's been at Arkansas, really with the exception of his first year. uh, So I guess the last two years is just a team that has really balanced scores. J.D. Notte is not the player that Moses Moody is, but um, he is a clutch guy down the stretch that can hit a jump shot and can also go to the basket and gets fouled a lot. Uh, He's masterful at a little bit like Tyree Appleby at, at, moving his body in ways that draws contact, um, and getting to the free throw line. And I think, um, you know, it just, it became difficult for Florida to defend him, uh, late, obviously, uh, which is, you know, gets back to some of the other stuff that we've had concerns with in SEC play, uh, which is that Florida can be a, a pretty good defensive team, but the reality is that if you have a bunch of guards that can straight line drive, it's still pretty difficult for the Gators on defense.
1: Yeah. I mean, of course we've been kind of questionable about a few coaching decisions kind of throughout the last couple of years. Um, It's pick and roll defense being kind of one of the main ones. And there's definitely some schematic things that I'd like to see them change there. But when it comes to kind of other elements of defense, it's like, man, if you can't contain the ball, there's 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 just nothing you can do like like again kind of you see all kinds of teams going through it teams that i'm working with going through it it's like if you can't stop the ball it doesn't matter how good of a coach you are it doesn't matter how good your help defense is how good your gap control is like that's one of the things too we always talk about like how it's like oh it'd be nice to see Florida run you know some of the more set plays or change up what they're doing offensively um yeah sure but you know what the best offense is in college basketball it's having guys that can go one-on-one and 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 get by their man so um again I I think when you kind of evaluate like I, I guess I'm really interested too I do wonder if Florida like when when Brandon McKissick comes to just as an example not I'm not pinpointing him as like the one bad defender on this night, but you know, he's obviously an all league player where he comes from. But when I started watching his film, I was like, okay, this will be a good defender at the sec level, but I don't think he's going to be a great one. I'm really interested if the Gators looked at him and said, Hey, all league defender, he's going to come in and be like a complete stopper in this league. Um, same thing with finders Fleming, you know, defensive player of the year in his conference. I looked at him. I was like, I, you know, I think he will be a good defensive player. No, no question. Um, Is he like, you know, a difference-making defensive player in the SEC? Uh, No, I don't think so. So I I do wonder if that was like missed evaluations by the Gators or if they just kind of thought, hey, we're going to put out a whole bunch of good defenders because I do think that's what Florida kind of is. It's a bunch of
0: good Mm -hmm. defenders
1: and no real great ones. And maybe they thought that that was going to be enough. But I think this kind of season has shown it's like you've got to have at least one or two guys that are like, you know, Elite, elite stoppers. And uh hey, maybe on that note, Neil, you want to jump in on on Niles Lane and his uh six minutes of play. Yeah, I mean
0: it, it, probably his roughest six minutes since he has emerged from the doghouse. He got uh lost on a backdoor cut, uh got kind of got abused on a pick and roll. Um, and then I think he fouled uh JD Note and, and Note missed the the three point play shot, but Um, so not terrific from him, but still when you're only getting six minutes, like, I don't know, just sit him and put him back out there especially late in the game, I thought with Florida up six, like it would have made sense to go offense defense a little bit with Niles to just try to get somebody that can get in front of Devo Davis or, uh, JD note now to, to our point on the preview that Arkansas, uh, Florida switches a lot and Arkansas was going to attack those switches anyway, but still better to have Niles laying on the floor. Um, defending those people. And I think we saw against Georgia, which we'll get to, you know, why it matters to have Niles Lane to kind of stop the ball. Um, You know, and if you've watched Texas tech, a team that entered big 12 play pretty much in the same resume spot as Florida. uh, If you've watched them kind of become one of the best teams in the country over the past, what, month and a half, Eric, Uh, I think a big reason why, Uh, is twofold. I mean, they have like three Niles Lane types. I mean, Davion Warren is one of the best on-ball defenders in the country. Uh, Kevin McCuller is a really good on-ball defender. Um, Adonis Arms is a good on-ball defender. Like their worst defender in their rotation is Kevin O'Banner, who isn't there to play defense. Um, And the reality is because Florida has iced so many ball screens this season, Florida has kind of done some of the things that Texas Tech does schematically. Uh, Texas Tech's just way better at it uh, because their roster is built to do all that stuff.
1: Well, it's kind of interesting to look at their success because, I mean, like, when you look at, like, I'll say, like, the top, top level of transfers, it's like, yeah, that went to, like, you know, the Kentuckys of the world. The next kind of tier of transfers, like, Florida kind of w- was living in that range and getting everyone they wanted. Like, Brandon McKissick was someone that was like, oh, Kansas had some interest, Missouri thought they were going to bring him home, and they they got him. You know, Flanders Fleming, a guy who put up a whole bunch of points. Um, Florida went and got him, and-, and there's a lot of teams that wanted Myron Jones as well, and C.J. Feller, like, whenever you have um, high major starters in the portal. Like there's going to be a lot of suitors. So like the Gators really got everyone they wanted the next tier below that the Adonis arms is of the world. They went to like the Texas tech. And when you look at the production that they're getting out of their transfers, like they hit it, they hit it out of the park. And I think a lot of it too, is like they had such a defined style of play that they were able to go and, and and find exactly what fit their, their kind of, um, their scheme. And, And that's why they're having so much success. So when we undoubtedly go back to this podcast in the off season and we start talking about, Hey, what's Florida going to do in the transfer portal? It's going to be an interesting kind of discussion when it's like, okay, are we going to just want to try to get the most raw talent possible? Or is there some kind of style of play that the Gators feel they can hang their hat on so that they can actually, you know, recruit to what they're trying to do because I watch Texas tech and I'm just like, Oh my goodness, you know, Florida got, like every single one of Florida's transfers was more heralded heralded than these transfers. Um, but man, Texas tech is just utilizing them in such a fantastic way because they fit exactly what they're doing. So hey, credit to them to go for going to a program that kind of fit their, um, set, and credit to Texas tech for identifying those guys because, uh, yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of an interesting difference. And again, um, no problem to all four of Florida's transfers that I think are all, um, you know, contributing and we're happy there. Each one of them is on the team. Um, but, you know, can we say that the Gators like won the transfer portal last year? I That's just not the case. And I think that probably starts with the fact that the Gators thought they would be getting a whole lot better defensively. And, you know, as we uh, look right now and as I talk and refresh Ken Palm, the Gators are now 68th in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. Yeah, which is not a spot
0: that any of us thought they would be in when they started, uh, what, 6-0 and or whatever they were. Um, so, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and most of it is just in the SEC where there's all these good guards. Florida just gets kind of overwhelmed sometimes. Uh, the other big problem, of course, is on the glass uh, where Florida is one of the worst rebounding teams in the country, which I think is another reason it was a preseason concern. I think, I think both of us had it in our top two concerns um, when we did our preview shows and uh, I think they're down to 338th or something like that. And defensive rebounding now, which is the bottom 20 teams in the country, one of the worst power six rebounding teams. Um, and that's after they out-rebounded Georgia. Uh, so, you know, when they're not – they're just not big enough to, to really rebound effectively. And obviously in the six games that Colin Castleton was out, it was fairly hopeless in both the games they lost in that stretch games that I'm sure they'd love to have back uh, for their NCAA tournament resume, particularly the one at Ole Miss. Uh, So, um, you know, just some, we get back to these roster construction decisions, and maybe these are more off-season podcast oriented, but when you look at why Florida is on the bubble and why in the seventh year of the Mike White era, we're talking about Florida's lack of a real identity, it's because even if they want to have an identity, they don't necessarily have the personnel that would suit whatever it is they want to
1: do. Well, I just think like, again, it it really is more of an off season discussion, but at the same time, it's like, well, why did you lose to Arkansas? It's because of the kind of roster build concerns, um, or, you know, inadequacies in some of these key areas. So it's as much as, uh, you know, overarching kind of, yes, we should be talking about roster builds in the off season. It's like when you can kind of draw a really straight line to some of these losses based on how the the roster was built. Yeah, it just brings us to talk about this, but um, you know, that rebounding number is not an adjusted number. So again, you could argue, you know, the Gators really the 338 team in, in defensive rebounding. Like, no, I don't think you would argue that in, in good faith. Um, they're probably not, you know, quite that bad. Um, but at the same time, that's that number because it's not adjusted. Like the Gators still have to play Kentucky and who knows who they see in the NCAA tournament. It is not unreasonable to suggest that the Gators could contend for the worst defensive rebounding team in the country, um, you know, in, ter- in terms of defensive rebounding percentage, um, which is really crazy. But yeah, it's like, if yeah, if you're playing, uh, um, you know, you're playing Kentucky, um, you end up playing, you know you know, insert one of seven teams in the sec that are awesome at offensive rebounding, um, the Gators could keep dropping. So let, let, let's hope that's not the case, but, uh, um, maybe a good transition to, uh, the Georgia game, because one of the reasons we thought this team was going to be a better defensive rebounding team is because you and me both projected that before the season, that starting a power forward would be CJ Felder. Um, it took a little while to get there. It took injury to Anthony Deruji, um, but we did get to see CJ Felder starting the, uh, starting the game for the Gators. Um, I don't remember which starting lineup number this is uh, for the Gators, uh, but they had to try out a new starting lineup. Um, it actually looked like the starting lineup a little bit that we kind of expected before the season. Um, what'd you think of Felder and what are your kind of over overall thoughts of this, uh, this Georgia game? Yeah. I mean,
0: look, uh, CJ Felder didn't play a ton. He played like 11 minutes uh he did not get a rebound um but you know i still think i don't know how healthy cj felder was at the beginning of the season um we know that he had something going on because chris harry reported that uh but i'm not sure he ever really got back to 100 hopefully he is next year because i do still think he's a difference maker of a player uh for florida i think he can block shots i do think he can get rebounds Um, And I thought that, you know, his main thing that he did in this game when he was on the floor with Colin Castleton was kind of uh, help Florida create spacing a little bit better because even with Felder on the floor, Georgia still doubled Castleton pretty much every time, but Florida had a big in position to box out when they took shots and Castleton did a really nice job of, of dishing the ball uh, to open shooters. But so Georgia also had to kind of account for the fact that Felder was present on the field on the Florida rebound. Um, And I think that matters, you know, again, that extra size at a critical position where you want size uh, is an important thing, Eric.
1: Yeah, I thought he also passed the ball pretty well it Got with some entries to Colin Castleton. And again, we've seen some of those issues with with Teruji recently. Um, and then I, I almost thought Felder almost had a little bit of Niles Lane to his game where he just like knew he was not out there looking to score. And, and he was kind of quick swinging it uh, whenever the ball right. got to him. So it kind of looked like Florida's offense looked better with him on the floor, even though he wasn't taking shots or um or scoring himself um early in the season i do think he was hunting shots a little bit particularly some of those those corner threes that not been a great shot for him unfortunately um yeah i thought he moved the ball and i thought that florida's offense looked really good in those those minutes he was on the floor um and you know a li- little bit of a small part of of an offense that was really good but uh really centered around uh flanders fleming
0: yeah monster game for flan uh mostly most his damage comes in the second half but He did start to cook at the end of the first half uh, and ends the game in front of his hometown fans uh, and family uh, with 19 – sorry, with – how many points did he have? 27? 27
1: on that uh, that
0: last three. 27 on the last three. He goes 11 of 18. I don't think he missed a mid-range jumper in the entire game, which was painful after the Texas A&M – finale. He he hit a couple of them off uh, curls where I didn't even know Mike White had that set. Um, And suddenly they ran it and Flan Fleming got open on it. And then even when he wasn't open on it, he hit the shot over a defender who was right in his face. Um, So just kind of an unconscious performance uh, from Flanders Fleming. And it's funny, like if you can overshadow a couple other really good performances um, it's kind of hard to overshadow like a box score line, like Colin Castleton's yesterday, which was, as we record on Sunday, um, 10 points, uh, 12 rebounds, five assists and four blocks. Like that's silly. Um, but Flan Flipping did that with 27, five and four. Uh, and just, you know, I hope that they can get his family down to to Gainesville for the Kentucky game, Eric.
1: Yeah, that'd be fantastic. We, uh, I'd love to see them hyping them up there from from their little section i thought that was really cool Um uh, man like so jo- georgia i think was 308th in the country in adjusted defense going into this game which is just like an absurd number for a high major team but man when they kept doubling con castleton from the near corner on the strong side i just like i i couldn't believe it so um uh, good assist game for con castleton just like seeing that double team come from right in his face and and hitting open shooters. But, like, man, Georgia made it really easy Um, in those scenarios. Good for the Gators for taking advantage of it and and good for guys knocking down shots. But, um, like you said, too, I like that the Gators were running Flanders Fleming off some of these kind of floppy screen actions. They got him curling. Then they got Tyree Appleby, some open threes running off those screens. Um, More reason why we just like how Florida looks when they're running sets a little bit more. And um, they didn't really run it as – they haven't really gotten into it yet, but a lot of teams that like to run those floppy actions, it's these baseline screens for shooters or someone curling like a Flanders Fleming, but because of the way the defenses have to, you know, chase and defend those, those screens, it's really easy for someone like a Colin Castleton to set one of those screens for a shooter and then just open up to the ball and be, um, be there for a duck in. So I think Florida could have a lot of success if they kind of continue down that road. I, if someone's looking for how that exactly works, I mean, I tweeted out like um, a team that's really good and an at-large team from a mid-major league in, in UAB and Andy Kennedy, who used to be at Ole Miss. Um, they were on it and just, you know, murder teams with it. They're they're so good with floppy actions and the way that their post players open up to, to get layups off of it. So I, I think it's a good offense. Um, it was nice to see, like, of course, it was against a defense that that isn't very good, but, uh, you know, getting Flanders slumming off curls, I just, you know, that, that's something that I'd like to see against any defense. Yeah.
0: And sometimes it just takes one game for a player that can score like Flan Fleming can score and he's proven he can score for four years in college basketball. And, and he's had other games that have been good in the sec. Um, But sometimes it only takes one to get a guy going, particularly at the end of his career. So hopefully that's what happens here. I love Eric's point about the, the floppy actions. I also liked that Mike White went to it the one time it got a little nervy in the second half where Florida had jumped to a 51-34 lead, and they actually were on what I think was a 13-0 run. Um, And then in classic Florida fashion, they give up nine straight points, and it gets to eight, and White calls a timeout, and then they run that floppy action for Appleby right out of the timeout. Uh, Tyree hits the three, and from there, um, Florida just took over. It was also really good to see Tyree hit like open threes in the corner off those actions, with his feet set, like where he didn't have to have like the step back craziness when Tyree's hitting feet, set threes, also a good sign and a big game for him. I think he had uh 21 points and, and several assists.
1: Yeah. Apple stringing together a bunch of really good games in a row. And we've seen him kind of come to play in, in Florida's biggest games. Um, Going back to his well, going back to last year, but uh now every game is pretty much must win for the Gators, uh uh or something pretty close to it. And and he's yeah, strung together a bunch of a bunch of really good games outside of like you said, um or kind of mentioned earlier against Texas AM. But it's like yeah, 21 points against Georgia, 19 against Arkansas, um, of course, 26 uh um, against Auburn. Um, he's playing big time basketball right now, and uh to to see those shots that he hit. Um, like you were kind of talking about in the corner, like I could see, you know, quasi Reeves has that ability. Um, he's been quiet the last couple of games, but it's, it's him or Tyree Appleby. Those are the only guys that are really kind of capable of hitting those shots. Myron Jones, luckily, you know, lucky to see him shoot another three for eight game from three, but he's not kind of exactly. I, I don't think he's kind of quite as quick coming off those screens and, and, and quite as good with his feet as, as a Tyree Appleby. So, um, yeah, just really good u- utilization of Tyree Appleby, who you've just got to get going and, uh, and, and also finder a swimming. So, um, you know, coming to the final weeks here, when you know, like what works for your offense, you know, it's going to be throwing it into Castleton, but if you want to say, how do they best utilize, you know, finder swimming? Um, I, I think it could be coming off those curls and while Tyree Appleby as a ball screen, ball handler, that might be kind of the best way to get him going. I, I think running him off some of those screens to the corner is, uh, is pretty good as well.
0: Yeah, no, I just thought Florida played pretty pretty darn well offensively. Now, of course, playing Georgia, you would hope that they would because um, Georgia is even worse than LSU was defensively last year, which Eric and I, I think, had a podcast where we didn't think that that was possible. As Last year we were talking about how they were the worst defensive team in the Power Six, and um, I don't know if we'll ever see these numbers again. And Georgia's just obliterating them, by the way. They're like 50 spots worse than the 250s that LSU was putting up. Uh, so – um, pretty wild. Uh, I did want to give a shout out to flan defensively too. And Niles lane. I thought that they both kind of teamed up, um, on Christian Wright, who was getting loose a little bit, uh, in the first half and then on Cario Akendo, who is a player that if Eric Pastrana is listening, um, you know, when he hits the portal, man, like, I don't care if you've got a camp out in front of his house, like, I really would like to see that guy in orange and blue. He's a Florida native. Um, and Lord knows Florida could use another player that can just attack the basket. Uh, but he didn't have as much luck against it with Niles Lane on the floor. I thought, um, you know, back to good defense from Niles, but what was really encouraging, oddly enough, was offense. Just the fact that he decided to attack closeouts and not shoot threes and, and made a couple baskets. That was really good. Uh, So I really thought that him and Fleming were kind of key to Florida getting separation on defense uh, to get the stops they needed to where um, they could kind of extend the lead and, and put the game away. Georgia shot the ball really well. Um, I thought they made some pretty tough looks, especially Brandon Bridges Uh, and Okindo made some tough threes with people in his face. Um, But You know, Georgia shot nine of 23 from deep. And if you had told me they were going to do that before the game, I might've said that the Gators are in trouble. Um, But uh, Florida got enough stops to win, even though their defensive efficiency numbers actually dropped, uh, despite playing a pretty good offense.
1: Yeah. I didn't hate any of the shots that Oquindo took and, and, and made. Uh, I thought Florida defended well, he had some tough step-back jumpers. He's not a good shooter. He hasn't hit those shots. He was over five against the Gators in the first meeting. He's just, yeah, not a, not a great shooter. And he took some shots that he doesn't normally hit and he made them. So um, I have no problem with the way Florida defended. I, I thought that, uh, um, like you mentioned too, that they are, you know, Georgia is a pretty good offense. That's one thing that, that Crean has always been pretty good at is, is offense. Um, it's been the defense that's always been the problem for him. Um, but uh I, I, I really think that the Gators kind of did well um getting uh getting a off his spots. Um, you know, Aaron Cook really got loose. Um, against the Gators in in the first game and and I thought they you know did a lot a lot better there and uh just kind of generally generally kind of quieting quieting the game down a little bit, staying out of rotation a whole bunch. And then it that's what kind of led to some of these late clock situations where yeah Oquendo hit some tough shots, but it was good defensive possessions for the Gators. So definitely a tough one, like you said, where um they end up you know dropping a little bit in, in the defensive metrics. Um but uh yeah, I, I've got to say after you know being critical of some of the defense recently I didn't really have any problem with anything they did against georgia
0: yeah much better uh they did get 31 rebounds to georgia's 29 niles lane had five rebounds flan fleming had five rebounds gotta have those by the way um you know we keep this this has become the roster construction podcast that we didn't even know was going to happen i promise we did not talk about this before we really just started recording today um and uh so like the two six, five guys were capable of getting rebounds. You know what I mean? Like go figure, you know, like there are lessons to be learned here.
1: Well, yeah. And and again, to see like, you know, carry oquindo who still has you know finds a way to get get 20 points um and he you know he get, i think he had six rebounds against the gators and he had eight rebounds in the first matchup too so two years seeing it on the other side too luckily the gators were able to compete with him a little bit more but uh yeah i do think when the gators start looking back at the season um and last couple of years yeah the offensive rebounding is one they, they just got to take a look at it. and um there's a whole bunch of things that kind of you know contribute to it. But those minutes where they have Flanders Fleming at the three and, um, and Niles Lane at the two, and suddenly you're a whole lot bigger and more athletic than you normally are kind of makes sense. You can control the glass a little bit more.
0: Yeah. So, um, that was kind of my, I I didn't really have much else on that game, obviously, uh, just another monster performance from Colin Castleton. I talked about his box score. Um, Florida gets the win without Anthony DeRigi, who has started a lot this season, has some sort of ankle injury that, of course, we didn't know about as media. Um, so just another fascinating thing about Florida basketball. Just never know what the heck's going on uh, inside the building. They don't tell us that much. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, good good win, shorthanded. Maybe we'll see C.J. Felder again. I would hope so. Um, Vanderbilt's an interesting case because we talked a little bit about this when we previewed them the last time, Eric, but they were kind of in like the two eighties in rebounding when Florida and then last met Uh, another team that doesn't rebound that well, but uh, even though they've lost four of five, uh, they have gotten Liam Robbins back. And the thing that Liam Robbins has done is sort of give them a seven footer that can compete on the glass. So, Suddenly, they're out rebounding people, and they they play a little differently uh, than they have with Liam Roberts. They're also, I think, able to space the floor a little better, which makes Scottie Pippen
1: a little more dangerous. It's uh, it's been pretty interesting because they have not won a whole lot um, in the SEC. I think they're six and ten, um, but. And, and I think that they are like three and, and five over their last eight, but they played a bunch of these games tight. Like they played Alabama tight. They played Mississippi state tight. They hung in with Auburn for a bunch of it. They hung in with Tennessee for a lot of it. They played Kentucky close. So what's what we've actually seen is like, they've continued to rise up and up and up the net ratings or rankings. And one thing that's pretty crazy is, as it currently stands as we talk, they are 75th in the net rankings. So that means this would be a Quadrant 1 game for the Gators on the road, which I would have never guessed going into the season that Vanderbilt would be a Quadrant 1 game um, on the road for the Gators. But here's the catch. I mean, if the Gators win, Vanderbilt probably drops in the net ranking and it becomes a Quadrant 2. So, again, we'll see if it, like... There's still other games that are played, so everyone can cheer for hopefully the Gators to win, and then Vanderbilt to play really well in their last game of the season, and then in the SEC tournament to make this a quadrant one game. But it it is kind of funny, like as we currently talk on Sunday, this is a quadrant one game for the Gators. We don't know by Tuesday, but let's say Vanderbilt sticks at 75th, then if the Gators were to beat them, it would like drop it from a quadrant one game to a quadrant two game almost certainly. Unless, uh, I mean, unless Vanderbilt plays really well. And they lose a close game to the Gators, which would make it a quadrant one game if they were to, you know, ray, rise up in the, in the net, but then it wouldn't look as good as the get on the Gators because so it'd probably end up, you know, not rewarding them a whole bunch in the net. So anyways, this is all the fun we have with, uh, with the net system, with the quadrant system, talking bracketology, um, life on the bubble. I believe it's, uh, Neil continues to tweet out with, with various things related to this, but, uh, that's a little bit of the scene and the importance of this game for the Gators.
0: Yeah, a couple numbers to kind of point out to Eric's point about Vanderbilt's 14-14 and record still making them 75th in the net. They're 3-7 and this season in games decided by five points or less. Shout-out to Kevin Brockway on that uh, stat. So um, that is the most five points or less games in the SEC. Uh, Only one of those games came out – or two of those games came out of the league, a win over BYU, who's on the bubble, and a um, loss to Temple in overtime. Uh, So, you know, they have played in a ton of close games. The other thing I would mention uh, before people are like, Florida just has to win this game. Well, yes, they do have to win this game if they want to go to the NCAA tournament. I guess my point is easier said than done. Vandy has won four of their last five at Memorial Gym. um, And the one loss was a heartbreaker to Alabama last week.
1: Yeah, they they really are playing good basketball. And you see that, you know, they played Kentucky to, to seven points on the road. And to see that they are playing so much better, better at home right now. And like you said, heartbreaking loss there uh, to Alabama and uh maybe Texas A M at home, which you know the Gators weren't able to win so they really are playing pretty good basketball and I think a lot of it is it's kind of starts on the defensive end um they're 40th in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency metric and um something that I was looking at in some of the advanced numbers that I think are is is kind of really interesting Neil you are going to absolutely love this number because as we keep saying on the podcast Vanderbilt is a team that plays drop pick and roll coverage um, so Vanderbilt, who is a drop pick and roll team, like we have kind of wanted to see from the Gators recently, um, they are currently eighth in the country in pick and roll defense without really good pick and roll bigs, without really good pick and roll guards, they have mm-hmm. found a way to be the eighth best pick and roll defensive team in the country. I think that is a incredible number, incredible credit to them. And it's also just another little piece of evidence that, um, that kind of, you know, speaks to why we think that drop could be so successful in college basketball in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing
0: that with Quentin Melora Brown on the, on the floor in the power six for 25 minutes a at night, uh, and I'm sure he's a nice kid and works hard, um, but, man, that's pretty impressive uh, because, you know, that is not what we would call an athletic specimen uh, in the pick and roll defense, but he's, he's getting it done. Um, they got 32 uh, from Scotty Pippen Jr., uh, in their loss to Miss State over the weekend. He was just marvelous in that game. Mississippi State had zero uh, answer for him, other than the fact that Mississippi State has Iverson Molinar. Um, so if you liked great guards, it was a really entertaining game to watch, um, and I think it's available on demand if you have the ESPN app. You might want to go check it out. I guarantee you my one bold hot take for this podcast is that Scottie Pippen Jr. is not going to have the type of game that he had against Florida last time where what he had like five points and was pretty much a non factor.
1: Yeah, he had six, which is his season low, um, which won't be a surprise to anyone that his season low um was six. Um, if everyone remembers, um last year he played the Gators three times. He had 23 points and four assists in um, the, the last game, which was in the sec tournament where they almost upset the Gators in just, you know, shocking fashion the game before that he had 32 points and six assists against the Gators. And then in the first meeting between the two teams, He had 18 points and six assists. Um, He's averaging 20 points and four assists per game this season. So, um, which is even more impressive when you see that he just like, you know, laid the egg against the Gators. So I I think he's just as good of a score as there is in college basketball. Um, I was just shocked and in awe that he struggled so much in in the first game. I really wonder what was going on. But uh, that was his season low. Quite arguably the worst game he's played this season was against Florida. So uh, yeah, I, I think we're, we're dealing with uh, with a guy who's gonna be a lot closer to 20 points um, or maybe even closer to 26 points, I should say than six points.
0: Yeah, and just so you know how he's playing in the last four, which uh, include two of those five point or less losses and a home win and the heartbreaking home lost Alabama, um, my man is averaging 28 points a game in the last four and has shot 53 free throws in the last four games, which, so he's cooking. He's playing the best basketball of his, uh, his career. And I guarantee you he's coming for the Gators Tuesday night. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that one thing that Jerry Stackhouse uh, does really well, and it's definitely sort of probably his G league background. I'm sure. uh, Eric hasn't been tweeting as much recently, but he could dive into it. I'm sure. But Jerry Stackhouse does also a really nice job of designing things for Scottie Pippen and spacing the floor for Scottie Pippen in the way that NBA uh, teams typically do for their stars.
1: Well, maybe I will tonight, Neil. Um, I was actually thinking about tweeting out a little bit of their drop, pick and roll coverage. Cause uh, again, I just, I am just in awe that they are eighth in the country in pick and roll defense and that's not an adjusted number. So for them to do that in the sec against some really good pick and roll guards with really good, Catching law, big men, um, pretty incredible. But uh again, I I I really, you know, I I have had some problems with the way that Stackhouses went in press conferences and called out players by name for being soft or not defending well enough or being good enough for the SEC level. I would certainly stay away from that if I was someone in his position. Um, but when it comes to his schematic coaching, I think he's really good. And again, this is a guy who was an assistant coach in the NBA and was a head coach in the G League, like X's and O's are in an extremely high level at those leagues. So I've always thought that they've ran really good stuff at, uh, at Vanderbilt. It's just been, you know, for whatever reason, um, of course, talent would be the the first thing to kind of, you know, speak to um, it hasn't totally worked out, but, you know, it was just a couple, I, uh, it was just last week we were recording the podcast. They were only one game behind the Gators in the standings. And we thought it is very realistic that the Gators could be playing Vanderbilt and the winner of that game would be, you know, higher in the standings. Um, luckily that's, that's not the case, but there was a time where like Vanderbilt was really in the mix to finish at the top half, of the sec and ahead of the Gators. So, um, they've obviously had the close losses, but, um, obviously Scottie Pippen is, is tremendous. Um, but, uh, they've got, he's got kind of the coach. Like if there's any coach that's going to know how to feature a star, it's the guy who spent a bunch of time in the NBA and that's, uh, that's just the case. So um, yeah, I'm expecting a pretty explosive Scotty Pippen game. I'm really interested to see how the Gators choose to defend him. And uh, I guess that starts with um, who they kind of decide to put, um, put on him as this kind of primary defender at, at first um, we will, we will see. I'm, I'm interested coming off. A not big Niles lane minute game to a little bit more. Um, White has liked putting Brandon McKissick in those roles at, at times. Um, I'll, I'll just be really interested to see who the, the primary defender is at least to start. Yeah, no, that's definitely
0: going to be, uh, probably the matchup that, that defines the basketball game. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Uh, Vanderbilt was held to their, uh, season low and Stackhouse era low. Uh, the last time they played Florida, they scored 14 points in the second half. Uh, I thought Florida played some of their best defense, but that was also a game, um, where Florida didn't have Colin Cassaton, which I think has to be like, okay, that's Florida's answer, right? Scottie Pippen's going to play great, but you guys now have to play us with Colin Cassaton. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of the give and take there. Uh, the last time these two teams played Niles Lane was a DNP, by the way. Uh, and probably Brandon McKissick's best game uh, of the season, I thought. And a lot of that work on Scottie Pippen. Does Mike White go back to Brandon McKissick and that well again? Uh, Jerry Stackhouse, Dean Smith said one of the five most intelligent players he ever coached. Um, Dean Smith coached a lot of players. So I'm sure that Jerry will have some sort of answer for whatever Florida does. I don't know if – if. uh you know, as well as Castleton or as well as Pippen is playing right now. So is Colin Castleton. And while Liam Robbins definitely gives them a body and a banger that they didn't have. uh, I still think you have to like Colin in either of those matchups against Moore Brown or Robbins.
1: Yeah. Considering some of the centers that he's kind of had his way with recently um, you would hope so for sure. Um, Something that I think is a pretty crazy number, Neil, I don't know if you're going to be surprised by this. Um, I, I guess I was though. It makes sense when you see what they are in the net, but um, Ken Palm has this game Vanderbilt by one. Um, I'll be interested if like the betting markets normally do that. They'll follow Ken Palm and, and the Commodores will be favored. But uh, man, again, it was a couple weeks ago and we we're like, oh, you know what? Things are looking a little rough for the Gators, but they're going to have that stretch where they'll play Georgia Vanderbilt back to back. Well, those are two scheduled wins like right on get ready for Kentucky. Uh, that is not the case. Um, Vanderbilt has been playing good. And I think that the metrics are these are these are why metrics like Ken Palm are amazing. Because you can see when Vanderbilt is a losing record in the SEC, but you can see, wow, they're playing Kentucky and Auburn and Tennessee and Alabama really close. They're a lot better than just the record says. Um, you, you know, the RPI wouldn't pick that up, but the net does and, and Ken Palm does. We're at the point where, you know, the Gators are 55th um, in Ken Palm, Vanderbilt 75th in Ken Palm, which is interesting. It's the exact same as their net rating. And uh, Vanderbilt is is going to be favored to win. Um, by Ken Palm and some of the other metrics. So um, this is far from the the layup that, you know, I'll be honest that I thought it was going to be a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, it would be nice if Vandy uh, lost to Florida and then beat Ole Miss soundly in their final game so that Florida had this quad one win as Vandy arrives in Tampa. And then maybe Vandy gets a W in Tampa so that it stays a quad one for the Gators. Does uh, any of those things help. And, you know, you'd hate to say Florida missed the NCAA tournament because Flan Fleming uh, fouled a three-point jump shooter at Texas A&M, but it really might come down to those types of margins if Florida can't beat Kentucky. Again, I think Florida pretty much has no chance of making the NCAA tournament if they don't win uh, at Vanderbilt. Um, so, you know, I think the team knows that too. Uh, they, they definitely played with urgency against Georgia, I thought, and they played with urgency against Arkansas. I tweeted out yesterday – I kind of feel like Florida's playing some of their best basketball the last two and a half games. Hopefully that trend continues. Sustaining success for four game periods has not been a staple of the Mike White era. So we'll see what happens.
1: So you mentioned there the, the kind of margins that we're at talking about needing Vanderbilt to go beat Ole Miss. Like let's talk margins for a sec. So the Gators are beating Georgia by, you know, double digits and they kind of called the dogs off at the end in a net rating world that was not the smart thing to do and you kind of see that in the fact that they only r- rose a couple of numbers in in Kenpom I, I mean in an example that I used too was like you know the Gators beat Auburn but didn't play particularly well and they only went from like 50th to 47th in the net like a week before Michigan who was 47th in the net um, they really hammered Purdue like one. I forget what the margin was, but they won by like twenty points. They went from forty seventh to thirtieth. Like no one knows exactly what the net rating um, ranking is. Uh, what all the factors go or they they the, the NCAA has said what factors go into it. They don't say to what extent, but they do like efficiency margins are built in. So therefore, you are incentive is incentivized to not call off the dogs and try to win as much as you can over an opponent. And for the Gators who are not in a very good, you know, position net wise, they should have been pushing. And again, this is the conversation. How much do you kind of weigh sportsmanship or even, you know, keeping players healthy and not pushing them versus how do you best try to make the NCAA tournament? So, you know, we can have that discussion, but from a pure trying to make the NCAA tournament picture, the Gators were not wise to just kind of coast out the last couple minutes of the game. I, I'm curious what your kind of reaction is, is to that. Like, did you like seeing the Gators play with, you know, I'll, I'll say sportsmanship or are you just like, Oh my goodness, you might've been able to raise a couple spots in the net. Had you kind of continued to pour it on and not just, you know, kind of walked out the last couple minutes.
0: Yeah, no, I saw something that was like, if Florida had won by 20, it would have improved their net. Ranking by three more spots. If they had held on to win by 15, it would have been a at least another spot in the net. And of course, Georgia hits a three at the buzzer to make it a 12 point game instead Cause, of 15. Because they, they let him shoot it, you know, that's... Yeah, right. Because they didn't, they didn't guard the guy. They're just like, hey, we won the game. So, you know, I mean, when Flan hit that three to go up 15, it was like, we're two net spots. And then Florida doesn't defend on the other end. And Georgia makes a shot in four seconds because of course it had to go in. Um, But, you know, yeah, I mean, I don't I I don't like it. Luckily, that won't matter much Tuesday night. Uh, Really, all Florida has to do is um, win the game and then come home and get ready for Kentucky. But huge game coming up. Uh, That is our show today. So go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.